0: is uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day set aside to remember one of uh, the most important Americans in our nation's history, a day set aside to remember a pastor and a great communicator who spoke unforgettably about a dream. Dr. King spoke about a dream for our nation, a dream of racial harmony and equality, and in some ways, This dream has been realized in our nation, yet in other very important ways, Dr. King's dream for our nation is still far away. But long before Dr. King's dream, Jesus had a dream. Jesus expressed a dream of racial oneness. Jesus' dream is not about a nation or about a particular nation or our nation. No, Jesus' dream is about his people in his church. Jesus dreams of his people being one across racial barriers and ethnic barriers and cultural barriers, the kind of things that divide people in the world. Jesus dreams of a oneness among us that is impossible for the rest of the world, but possible for us because we have experienced his life-changing love. About 14 months ago, I uh, was with the elders of this church. Uh, I'm the staff elder, and I meet with, uh, uh, serve with seven other lay elders to uh, form the elder board, which is the uh, spiritual authority and leadership of this church, Blackrock. And uh, one night we uh, were together, me and seven other of the the uh, elders, and we formed a circle of prayer. Now, prayer is something that we as elders do a lot, but on this particular night, we did something that we didn't often do, and that is that we prayed in a circle, and we joined hands. And uh, in the middle of the prayer, I looked around this circle, and I saw my white hand in the hand of our elder chairman, Steve Thorne, who is an African-American, who had his other hand in the hand of Ben Chow, who is an Asian-American, who had his hand in the hand of Ron Donovan, who is a Native American from a tribe uh, that originated in Latin America, and had his hand in the hand of Max Zietz, who is ethnically Jewish. And so it went around this circle. There we were, you know, from different backgrounds different experiences, different races, different ethnicities, but we were one in Christ. We had common blood. We had the common blood of a Savior who loved us equally and who shed his blood for us equally so that we could bow before him, with equal humility and equal gratitude and equal praise to Jesus, the one who made us one in him. And as I looked around that circle, I said, this is just a a little fulfillment of Jesus' dream for us as his church. This is what Jesus dreamed about, or at least this is what he prayed about. Because in the Gospel of John, it's recorded that in the hours leading up to the cross, Jesus prayed these words from John chapter 17. My prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray for also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. This is Jesus' dream of unity. And notice that Jesus makes it clear that our oneness is a reflection of the oneness in the Godhead. That if I am one with Jesus, then the love between God the Father and God the Son overflows into my life and God's love makes it possible for me to be one with others who are one with Jesus. And one in a way that breaks down every barrier, including racial walls. And the Apostle Paul wrote a lot about Jesus' love and its ability to break down racial walls. He spoke a lot about this in his letters. Uh, The big racial wall in the early church, of course, was the divide between Jewish people and non-Jewish, Gentile people. But what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 about uh, the racial wall that was experienced in the early church applies to what we fight against in the walls among us in the church. Paul writes, Jesus himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. And then Paul continues this teaching in Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus." We live in a fractured world where races put up walls between each other. Walls of suspicion, walls of misunderstanding, walls of fear, walls of hostility. But Jesus died for all people, for all races. And I love Paul's words here in Ephesians. When Jesus sacrificed himself, he says... His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity, thus making peace. Jesus' dream is that us, His people, would be a new humanity, that we be a new model for the way human beings are to be one together across all divides. Jesus' dreams that we would experience this oneness between races and unity between ethnicities and that we would love each other, that we would love each other so much that the world watching would just be in awe and would want this model of new humanity. Jesus wants us to be so unified that we serve as a beacon of hope to our fractured world. And this is what we want here at Black Rock. We do not claim that we have already arrived at this perfect oneness, but this is what we want, and we want to fulfill Jesus' dream of one, and we're willing to do the hard work We're willing to do the hard work to break down these walls and build up our unity so that in Jesus and for his glory, and so that the world would know that he is the one that the Father has sent, we pray that we would be a beacon of hope for our fractured world.
1: anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere.
2: It may not be happening to me and it may not be happening in my hometown or it may. It may be right next door, but if injustice happens, then that means that there is somebody who needs to be helped and us as the church. We as we as a church or um Myself as Pauline, who has moved in as an immigrant, has her own story and her background, and now has the opportunity to speak for others, that's something that I take that as my responsibility to speak. I remember working with a colleague um, that really was not really nice to the f- um, fellow colleagues. And so for those that you may think are your enemies, pray for them. You don't have to hate because somebody's hating, because love really changes dynamics. And as time went on, here was this person who was a threat, really turned out to be a help because of prayer and because of the kindness extended. I think it's easy for us to look at uh, justice and inequality in our own life, but not in the life of others. I think that's what Martin Luther King uh, Jr. inspired us to do, is look at others and see how we can uh, see the world differently. And the way I do that is that uh, I need to hear people's story. I can't just look at it in my own uh, view, but when I hear their story and what they've gone through, it inspires me and motivates me through Christ's love Uh, to do more, to be more active, and to make changes in this world that uh, Christ wants. And So uh, Martin Luther King inspires me in that way. We're all God's children, red and yellow, black and white. We're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. So when you look around, we bring so much richness to the table and each man is your brother and friend. So, and in the Bible, there's so many stories and examples of how Jesus was more inclusive rather than exclusive. We should love all, and we should fight for justice, and we should fight for equality, and we should fight for unity, even if our world says otherwise.
0: it's uh, my privilege to uh, introduce to you Steve Thorne. Uh, Steve Thorne has been a uh, Bible teacher here at BlackRock for over 10 years and uh, most recent chairman of our uh, Elder Board. And uh, both Steve and his wife, Sherry, have been uh, attenders here for over uh, 16 years. And uh, Sherry actually was on our uh, ministry staff uh, for a number of years. And, uh, uh, as a friend of mine, Steve, I, I know that you have thought deeply about this subject of uh, what it means for us to be one in uh, Christ, including the idea of breaking down these walls. But before we can break down walls, we need to be able to see them. Uh, what, in your experience, could you share with us to help us maybe see walls that we don't see?
1: I think after the world whirlwind events that took place in 2016, a person would be hard-pressed not to have seen the racial and ethnic walls that went up across our country. But I think the reason why these walls exist is because of the fact that each of us as individuals look at things through our own personal lens. And I think there are three primary lenses that we look at things through. One lens is an ex- experiential lens, Another lens is a cultural or ethnic lens. And a third lens is a racial
0: lens. So you got experiential and cultural and uh, racial. Could you give us some examples of what that looks like?
1: Yeah, experiential lens. Uh, You know, one of the things that was interesting, I, I grew up in New York City. Uh, I was born and raised in the South Bronx in the Millbrook Projects. That's where most of my experiences were gained before I went away to college. My wife, Sherry, on the other hand, was born and brought up in the northern suburb of New Jersey, a little town called Teaneck. So when we met and got married and we had our first child, we decided to move out of Philadelphia where we met, and we were going to move to an area called Seaquane, Pennsylvania. In Seacane, Pennsylvania, we were looking for you know one-bedroom apartment. So the apartment agent took us around and uh, showed us these uh, these apartments, and he talked about these gardens apartments. Now, as he took us around, I began to see very quickly that garden apartment was a euphemism for a basement apartment, okay? (laughs) And so as he he takes us to to the apartment, we go inside, Sherry really loves the place, and we come out. And the first thing I noticed when we come back out is that the window of this basement apartment is right at foot level, and somebody could just kick in the window, go and rip us off with a little bit of things that we had, and, 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 and we wouldn't even know until it happened. So I said, okay, well, no problem, since Sherry likes this place. What I'm going to do, I'm going to just put bars on the window, okay? Sherry looks at me and pulls me aside, and in a, in a, in a fierce but quiet bo- voice that only a wife could pull off, she says to me, we are not putting bars on these windows. look around. Look around. Do you see anybody with bars in the windows? And I said, that's because they don't know any better. And then she says to me, there's no way we're going to put bars in the window. Coming here from Philadelphia, people are going to say they came in and put bars in the window. Look at the neighborhood. I said, all right, all right. I could see by the look in her eyes I wasn't going to win this one, right? But in my mind, I said, you will be apologizing to me when this happens, and I'll think about forgiving you. Okay? Well, two and a half years later, nothing happened. It was a very pleasant experience that we had. But my experiential lens gave me a false read, because based on my experience, those bars should have gone up. An example of a cultural lens, uh, really is an example that happened around 25, 30 years ago when I was in, in the corporate world. And um, I remember moving to a location and in this location, in my corporate culture, by the way, it's very rough and tumble. And if you had an idea uh, or, or you wanted to drive an initiative, you had to be able to come up with it and defend it against all, all takers. I mean, people are gonna hit you, but you've gotta be able to be assertive and respond and be able to articulate why. And so what I noticed is that there were a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, Americans, uh, that, uh, I'm sorry, Asian Americans that were there that, I knew outside of the conference room in the group dynamics that, that weren't acting as they would when we were alone. In, in, in terms of having an idea, raising it, and really uh, being assertive about pushing it. And I wanted to know why, because I knew them, you know? So, and it didn't matter if the person was. Uh, Japanese-American, Chinese-American, Korean-American, or East Indian-American. It didn't matter, you know? And so I I, I pulled some some of the guys aside and said, hey, what's going on? And they explained to me that in their culture, in the home, seniority was important. And you would never be in conflict with someone who was your senior in an open forum. And, And even in a business environment, They felt uncomfortable in pushing back because it was a sign of disrespect. It was a sign of losing face. So I had to make sure they understood, well, that's a lose-lose proposition when you put on your, your, your your cultural lens from a corporate standpoint because, number one, we don't get the best ideas on the table so that we can make the best decisions because you're not raising them. And more importantly, from a personal standpoint, people look at what you're doing not as being respectful, but because you're not... You're not, you're not sure of yourself, which isn't true. So it's really a question of looking at both cultural lenses and deciding
0: what's best for you. So that's experiential and cultural. Now, what about this racial lens? Uh, well, you know, with
1: the racial lens is a very, very uh, uh, interesting one because it just happened last summer. If you remember, Pastor Jeremy gave a, a message on, um, on race when he came back from his sabbatical. And uh, he then followed that up with having, having us do a panel discussion uh, that later on that week. And it was interesting, about a week or two after the panel discussion, I was in the uh, Welcome Center, and uh, a, a white couple I'm very fond of said, Steve, can we ask you a question? I said, sure, you can ask me anything. They said, what did Jeremy mean when he said white privilege? And I could see by the, you know, the look on their face and the way they were responding, you know, it was not a, a good thing. And I said, well, why? I said, what what is it that bothered you? And they began to explain all of the the negative and and, and pejorative things that that came to their minds when that word was used. And I was trying to explain to them, that's not what was meant. And the example I gave them is that when I was a kid growing up, my father told me that when you get in the car and you're driving and a police officer pulls you over, this is how you're going to act. And there was a protocol I mean, you had to make sure that you were on your best behavior, you did everything the officer asked, you made no sudden movements, and you made sure that the officer was comfortable in dealing with you. And the reason why, because if I didn't, it could mean the difference between bodily harm and and, and coming away without a problem, it could be the difference between life and death, okay? okay? So when my kids were growing up, uh, you know, my daughter, and especially my son, because he has the temper to be a little hot-headed at times, you know, I made sure that he understood the same thing, that under no circumstance, if you ever get pulled over by a police officer, are you not to treat the person with the utmost respect and deal with the police officer in such a way that he has no reason to feel that you're not following his instructions and you are not to meet any sudden movements and announce what you're gonna do before you do it. Mm-hmm. I said to the couple then, I said, now, did you ever felt the need to have that conversation with your son? And they had to admit, well, no, not really. I said, well, that's all it means when, when, when that, word, that term is used is that you have the privilege of not having to worry about it. You have to think about it because it doesn't affect you. It doesn't impact you. But what I learned from that is that words have powerful meanings. And, 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 and when you use certain terms, people kind of shut down because of what they think you mean. Instead of listening to what you're saying, okay? On the reverse side, uh, at the panel discussion, another situ- situation came up, and what happened is that we were talking about, at the time, people were carrying signs of it that says black lives matter, okay? And it, it didn't mean white lives don't matter. What it was saying is that, hey, something's wrong here. Regardless of what the word said, the meaning was something's wrong because people who look like me are being shot down indiscriminately. All over the country, something's wrong. But we understood it as minorities, okay? But we had to explain it because people were reading it wrong.
0: So simple words, depending on the lens that you're wearing, uh, can it be perceived as uh, 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 aggressive or something something that you don't even intend? Absolutely. So, so we have these lenses, uh, and then we have our desire as a church to grow in oneness together. Uh, what do do you see as the important step we need to be taking uh, as a church?
1: Well, as Christ followers, one of the things that we have an advantage of is that we get to use a fourth lens. Because when we come to Jesus Christ and we accept him as Savior and Lord, we have the opportunity to to wear a Christ-centered lens. Now, before I go any further, I want to preface what I'm about to say. I'm going to ask this question. How many people out here in the second service have attended Starting Point? Could you just raise your hands if you attended Starting Point? I see a few out there. I want you to pay attention, to whoever has their hands up, okay? Because after I explain what I'm, I'm going to explain, if you really don't understand, seek somebody else who had their hand up because they should be able to explain it to you. And if they don't, tsk, tisk on you guys because you should be able to, all right? When you come to Christ, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but it does not mean we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to ask. The Holy Spirit, you have to ask Christ to to give you the Holy Spirit to control and empower you. Okay? It's an act of the will. But when you do that, you begin to see things through a different lens. You begin to see things through a, a, a Christ centered, a Holy Spirit powered lens. And it can change your perception, it will change your perception, because it negates or or, or replaces those other three lenses we talked about because you're seeing it through Christ's eyes. But you've got to want to do that. You've got to ask him to be on the throne of your life in
0: order for you to see it the way he would have you see it. So that we can see the narrative that's put out in front of us uh, with a whole different perspective, because we're looking at it through through what, through what we know of Jesus and his, his life in us. You know what would be an
1: interesting thing? If, if you, you know, we look at television, we see images on TV, and when you, even though you're not thinking about it, what you're listening to is the narrative that whoever the broadcaster is is giving you. You know, What if you turned that TV off and looked at what was going on and asked Christ
0: to show you
1: what's really happening here?
0: Okay. I think it might be a different yeah, matter. Right. So, so the fourth lens that we can wear is the, is the Christ-centered lens, yes. which uh, would allow us to love each other by listening to each other and trying to understand each other and, uh, and to really develop that oneness. Now, okay, so you've been here for over 16 years. Uh, how do you think we're doing here at BlackRock? Uh, what are we doing well in terms of the oneness and what do we need to work on?
1: You know, it's interesting when you think about it, if we're honest, right? On a Sunday uh, in this country, most people are going to churches where it's very homogeneous from ra- on racial lines and ethnic lines. I mean, after all, people want to be on a Sunday after a hard week at work with people who make them comfortable, okay? And sometimes, believe it or not, comfort trumps whether or not you're growing in your intimacy with Christ. Sometimes comfort trumps whether or not you're being fed spiritually. But you know, that's the way it is, right? And so at our church, what's been interesting over the last six or seven years, one of the things that I couldn't help but notice is that God was slowly but surely changing the, the racial and ethnic in, mix in our church. And um, what was really fascinating, because I had the, the opportunity to serve as an elder, is the elders really have the, the, the privilege of getting to know people who want to join the church. And, and as we talked to people who wanted to join the church, we began to see there were people from different races, different ethnicities, different geographies in terms of this country, people coming from other parts of the world who want to join. And when we asked, well, why? And they talked about they feel that God is doing something here. They feel that, 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 that the spirit of God is here. And it would be nice if we as elders at the time could say, hey, That's how the plan went, you know? (laughs) But the truth is, that would be a lie, because it wasn't a part of a plan. But it was God, bit by bit, bringing people in, people being comfortable. We prayed that when when people came into the church that they would feel the spirit of God here, but it was God who touched their hearts and made them feel comfortable. And so, um, you know, we, we couldn't help but wonder, well, why? Why now, right? Then 2016 occurred. And we began to think about the fact that, hey, maybe, just maybe, God was bringing this group together because his intention was for us to be salt and light. You know, you hear about salt and light all the time, but can we be a distinctive based on the work that God already started? And that's what we began to think about. And and the question is, are we willing to be intentional about
0: it? Are we willing to dream Jesus' dream? Yes. Yeah, that uh, and and not just talk about it, but to actually make this a goal. Yes. That, uh, as Jesus says in uh, John 17, that this is this is what will. Demonstrate to our world, Jesus is who He says He is, is. If we can live with that kind of oneness and be intentional about it, so, uh, well, we have in our uh, our bulletin this uh, this card. You might want to take this out now, this uh, this card, because we'd like to uh, just talk about uh, what this is, and this is related to a. Uh, an intentional move that we're making, and that is on January 27th, the Friday at 7 p.m. We'd like to meet here, and uh, Steve is gonna guide us into in table discussion, uh, because we think the first step to uh, being intentional about our oneness is to talk and to listen to each other. And, uh, and, to, and we think that the guided discussion will lead us in that, but this, act, this card is actually uh, inviting you to participate in that process uh, by giving us some ideas of uh, some questions you have uh, for your brothers and sisters here. And also we'd like to ask if you would just let us know you're coming. So even if you don't have a question, uh, maybe if you're coming, would you just let us know just by uh, putting a name on the card saying, I I plan to be there. And we have uh, ushers in the back who will receive these cards. You also uh, could do the same thing on your BlackRock app if you'd like to do that as well. But Steve, tell us a little bit about uh, the idea behind this, uh, this garden.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that becomes very clear that unless we have a chance to dialogue, we really can't see things through other people's lenses. And, and, and if we really want to be that church that God talks about, the people that God talks about is going to cause, cause us to be able to have a dialogue in a way that, 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 that's comfortable. And this hopefully will provide that opportunity. And when you think about it, this is not the first time our church has uh, really been, been, been touched by God in a way that, that was special. Think about anybody who was here in 2002. Okay? There's no way in the world you would say That we would be here today On the same footprint of that old church As we were being besieged By all kinds of barriers And obstacles I mean there was no way it was going to happen Because the zoning laws were against us The neighbors didn't want us around And, and, and when you think about it There were properties that we had no access to That would allow us to do what we wanted to do Bit by bit God began to take those barriers down, to remove those obstacles for us. But even after that happened, there was something that we had to be intentional about if we were going to make this thing a reality. And what it was, if you remember, we, (laughs) at the worst economic downturn in our history since the Great Depression, thought we would have a capital campaign. Do you remember that? I mean, how crazy was that? But we did it because a step of faith of trusting God that he had taken care of everything else. So now it was our turn to walk out in faith and do something that we thought he was leading us to do. That's what this is about. God brought us together, different races, different backgrounds, different ethnicities for a reason. Let's take a step of faith and see Mm. what would God have in store for us if we're willing to trust him on
0: this. That's right. Well, this is an exciting dream, and uh, uh, I'd like to close in prayer, but just before we do that, would you join me in just thanking Steve for being a part of this? uh... Thank you, Steve.